This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by eight amazing people. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Michael Fritschke, Yvonne Williams, and Doug Malam. Thank you all so very much for helping make this show possible. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And this is the 11th anniversary of this show that feels like I've always been doing. And uh, as always, for an anniversary show, I picked people who uh, mean a lot to me to join me on this show. And this week, it is Mr. Joshua Cutchin. Hello, uh, Soraya. It's um, welcome to purgatory. You're just going to keep doing Where Did the Road Go until <laughs> the end of time. That's fine. As long as there's stuff to talk about. And Mr. Timothy Renner. Oh, are we yeah. finally going to find out after 11 years where the F the road went? Uh, the road goes on forever. Mm, and Apparently the it never ends. ends. Yep. Although the new logo that I, that I generated with CGI, I, I added a lighthouse to the end of the road just because I thought that was kind of a cool concept um, where this show's kind of a beacon through all the other nonsense out there. Yeah, meaning meaning the the, sh- the lighthouse calls the nonsense to the show, or uh... <laughs> <laughs> no? There's just so much garbage out there on the internet, and and so many other podcasts popping up where people just don't know anything, or they're just talking disclosure stuff or whatever. You know, this uh, I want this show to be a place where people can actually talk about real experiences and where we try to cut through some of the the you know the urban legend stuff the. The, um, the BS basically. Well, this, this has been a problem that I've noticed, um, as more and more people get on board with the UFO topic and it becomes more and more mainstream. And it's difficult to even say this without people, you know, leveling accusations that I'm, I'm sounding like a gatekeeper, but there really does need to be an effort. If you're going to hop into this subject and start offering opinions to sort of get up to speed on what has happened in the field. Um, you know, I've been, (laughs) I've been seeing some things in some places where it's like, Oh my goodness, guys, you wouldn't believe what I just figured out. It looks like the UFO experience mirrors a shamanic initiation. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, like, like this is talked about by folks in like, you know, the eighties and such. Um, but um, yeah, and I'm glad that people, you know, come to these, come to these, uh, come to these, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Not decisions, but they come to these conclusions, yeah, or connections. Um, but at the same time, like there's so much material out there and you know, and and I'm not even necessarily talking about like podcasters. I mean, I've I've noticed a trend amongst some people who have sort of good credentials and they're stepping into the UFO field and then they're saying things like this, and it's like, Yeah, well, the you know, the crazy tabloid writers (laughs) of the past forty or fifty years have kind of like talked about a lot of these things. And I think it's really important to honor that tradition and to be aware of um, what's been said already. You know? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I almost didn't do this show. Uh, it was, it was something that, you know, I had started listening to podcasts and without naming names, I heard a podcast uh, that both Robert Schock and Jesse Ventura were on where the host really didn't know anything. 
and wasn't really asking them mm-hmm. good questions. And it was aggravating to me because I'm like, why did they get to talk to these people? Mm-hmm. And I went, huh? what <laughs> yeah. if I started a show? I mean, I'm on a radio station, but I wasn't thinking podcasting at the time. I was thinking radio show. So I asked my program director who didn't get back to me and I went, well, never mind. And then I talked to someone else at the station and went, oh, he does that. Hit him up again. He'll love that idea. And I hit him up again and he went, oh yeah, sorry. Yes. When, when do you want to start? And it just, you know, once I did the first show, which I didn't even decide what I was going to do with till about three days beforehand, um, you know, I put it on YouTube. I put it on a podcast just because why not get it out there. And, uh, lucky for me, it was the right place in the right time. And I think being on a radio station got me a little more clout with guests. So I was able to get some big name guests like Robert Schock and uh, David Weatherly and stuff right off the bat. And that popped my numbers up very, very quickly. And Josh, I I actually, uh, our mutual friend, Micah Hanks, uh, he helped me out a lot early on. Mm -hmm. And uh, you were on his show. And I was like, I was like, oh, this guy's really interesting. I can't wait for his book to come out. I'm going to, I'm going to contact him as soon as his book comes out. And then you beat me to it. I did. I I wrote you before, (laughs) before, before you wrote me. Yeah. And uh, Tim, you had sent me your first book. On the seventh gate. Yeah. And I remember taking a look at it and going, oh, is this just going to be urban legend crap? Oh man. And I I had a dentist appointment the day, uh, like the next day or whatever. So I brought it with me and I'm sitting in the dentist's office reading it going, oh, this is all, who is this guy? What? No, he's doing exactly what he should be doing. What? Where's he coming from? Pennsylvania. (laughs) Yeah. Pennsylvania. Exactly. I'm like, he's he's not even that far away. (laughs) And then you had all that nice artwork and it was just like, yeah. So and then, and then, uh, Josh and Tim found each other like chocolate and peanut butter. And it was just <laughs> a match made in heaven. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, what year did your book come out, Tim? 2016, I think. Okay. So I started this in 2013. So about three years in and Josh, I think you were the second year in you were on. Yeah. Trojan feast was May 1st, 2015. Okay. That's when yeah. that was published. So, so I can't believe I'm coming up on nine years doing this, but, <laughs> and you, it was, uh, you, Michael Hughes and, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on her name. Snape was, yeah. Uh, I think she changed her name a couple of times. She has changed her name multiple times. That's another reason I'm having trouble remembering her name. Um, but she, you were the, you three were the first round table show I tried to do. Yep. Wasn't sure how my internet was going to yep. hold up for it, but it did well. And then that, that became a thing. So the show's changed a lot since the beginning. It used to be just guests, but man, I was, you know, I had, I had a lot of stuff I had already read, like Hanson's book and stuff like that. And, uh, um, uh, Harper's books and stuff like that. But after a while it got to be, man, <clears throat> reading a new book every single week was getting really hard. Oh, don't I know it? I'm, I'm doing that for the flower path. Basically I have a wonderful publisher who sends me books constantly, but you know, I feel obligated to do it and I'm interested. I love these, these books, but man, it's hard to keep up with it. It's just loads of books. Yeah. Yeah. And once, once I got COVID the first time, my concentration has never been the same. So every once in a while I can fly through a book, but most of the time I get a few chapters in and my brain just goes, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Oh, you were trying to read. Yeah. That's not going to happen right now. Hence why Josh hasn't been on for a college of souls yet. <laughs> it's okay. We'll get around to it. I'm most of the way first through the first volume. That is a question we have from someone tonight, uh, where he said, when are we going to get the fabled ecology of souls episodes with Josh? Hopefully soon. 
Well, I'm I'm standing by whenever you're ready. So. I, I've made I've, <laughs> that, ma- I've that, made I've made enough notes that we could do an episode already because it's going to be a multi-part episode. Oh yeah, I mean I think we did two episodes on Thieves in the Night, so Ecology of Souls is going to be like <laughs> an eight-parter. <laughs> um, so, uh, but yeah, that that and a uh, shared uh, novel episode with Mike Cleland is probably in the offing too. I yes, would imagine. Yes, that is that we're going to be doing as well. I have not read your book, but I've read Mike's, so I kind of got to rush through your book, which is also like 400 pages, Josh. Yeah, but it's, I've been told it's fast. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what that's what happens when you end up writing books for yourself and not, you know, not for uh, a publishing house. Is yeah. that you end up being like, well, I want it to be this long. So. Yeah, it, it, it should be what you want. It's your book. Well, in my experience, those are the things, those are the projects that turn out the best, you know, the ones yeah. where people... Like, you know, sort of just write it for their own, you know, for their own uh, pleasure or, or their own goals, you know? Yeah. Well, do you have so. like 400 pages of footnotes that are all just like me? Like, <laughs> me, 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 three. It's me. really, it's really, it's really funny that you mentioned that because I have an idea for a, a fictional project that, <clears throat> that might involve uh, footnotes or endnotes that I think would be really cool, but I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it. Okay. You and your endnotes. Yeah. <laughs> So, Josh, what started you down this path? Oh man, um, I mean, there's the how how far back do I start? I mean, some people have probably heard this story a dozen times, but I grew up in a household that was never really um, against entertaining topics like ghosts and Bigfoot. Um, I found out years later. <laughs> I found out years later that my dad was actually um, subscribed to the BFRO newsletter at one point, <laughs> like like in the eighties or something. Um, so obviously like there's sort of a, a familial interest there, I guess. Um, but then it wasn't until I got a desk job um, at the university of Georgia and I had an hour commute there and an hour commute back. And that was, that was when I think the paranormal podcast scene was really popping off. And even though there are more paranormal podcasts today i still think of those years as kind of like the golden years of paranormal podcasting that sort of like 2014 ish kind of era yeah um because because quite frankly i mean if nothing else like you could you could actually listen to every episode of a podcast that you like you know as opposed to nowadays where it's like you know you've got to pick and choose and then then like pick the episodes within this within the show that you actually you know want to listen to because there's just so much good stuff out there there's a lot of crap Um, too yeah, so so I was um so I was listening to you know a bunch of different shows. Um, Where did the road go? I, don't, I can't even remember how Where did the road go got folded into it. It might have been the Micah connection. Could be. <clears throat> or um yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I I hopped on. A, be- a better question would be how I got started on listening to Radio Mysterioso with Greg Bishop. But um, because that was really formative in terms of my perspective. Well, but um, feel free. Feel but free. Anyway, well, I, no, I, I don't. I don't even know. I can't even remember it or tell you. It was, again, it was probably. It was again. It was probably the Micah connection. Um, but anyway, so I was just listening to these paranormal podcasts, and um, for some reason, I'd always been interested in the, uh, in that little bit of fairy folklore that if you took food in fairyland, you'd be trapped there forever. And I got a gift card for Amazon from my sister-in-law, um, and I spent it on J. Robert Alley's Raincoat Sasquatch. And in that book, um, even though it's sort of a flesh and blood book, it's a it's a great book, and he does address a lot of indigenous um, beliefs around some of these Bigfoot <clears throat> analogs that you'll find amongst the coastal uh, 
populations in Alaska. And he mentioned that if you took food from the Bequess, you'd be trapped with the Bequess forever. And I was like, oh, that sounds a lot like uh, <laughs> that, that fairy food taboo. And it was like, someone should write a book about that. And it was like, uh, who's, you know, I kind of waited for a couple of months for like <laughs> Nick Redfern to do a book on it or something. And he didn't. So I was like, well, I guess, is it me? So, um, you know, looking back, like there were a lot of things that I wanted to be when I was a little, when I was a little boy, like, you know, I talked about being a zoo veterinarian and this and that and the other. And obviously I was on the musical path for a long time. Music is still a big part of my life, but, um, there was a time when I remember asking, you know, my my dad, like, can I grow up and be a cryptozoologist? And the answer was like, no, there's, <laughs> you can't you can't feed a family with <laughs> and be a cryptozoologist, right? So, um, so I was like, okay, well, I guess that's off the table. And I kind of ended up, I obviously didn't end up being a cryptozoologist, but I kind of ended up did I kind of ended up, um, indeed, sort of pursuing this as you know, in a, in some serious fashion. Um, and it's kind of, you know, I was just thinking about that the other day. I was kind of charming that like the thing that I thought I could never do, I ended up doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, uh, that, that was, that was my journey, um, more well, or less. It's interesting because music's a big part of your life, my life and Tim's life. Yeah. And you know, I mean, who are, who are the people that the, the fairies love to kidnap? I mean, it was, <laughs> it was fiddlers and, you know. Yeah. But I'm not a musician. And things like that. Right, right, right. But still, I think that there's something about like appreciating music that puts you in the mindset for these sort of things. I mean, I, I still would argue that like the greatest listenership for Coast to Coast is, you know, musicians on the way back from a gig trying to stay awake. That and truckers. Yep, that and truckers. Yeah. So, um, you know, that that's been the that's been the really trippy thing since I've gotten involved in this is to like show up to a gig um, and like somebody on the gig is like, Oh yeah, I heard you on coast to coast. It's like, you know, they don't know me for my playing. They know me because I was on coast. So that's, that's happened a couple of times. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that was my path. Um, so what about you, Tim? So was, I mean, I was born weird. Just always been a weirdo, right? I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've gone over this before. I'm, I'm sorry to anybody who's heard this, but I was born in the golden age of Bigfoot. You know, the uh, Patterson Gimlin film was about two years before I was born. Um, in Search of was on TV. Uh, Legend of Boggy Creek was in the theaters. It was just this golden age of Bigfoot in the in the early 1970s, where it was just a you know complete pop culture phenomena. You know, it was on Six Million Dollar Man. Bigfoot and Wild Boy was on Saturday morning uh, TV. It was everywhere, mm. and it's just fired my imagination and despite not having a single bigfoot experience in my youth and, and actually having some ufo stuff um i was really really into bigfoot i just loved it and i was really into folklore and i wouldn't have known that's what it was called but that's what what i love and if i heard about a local ghost story i'd you know bug the heck out of my parents like oh take me there i want to go see this place you know they rarely did but sure it was still you know it was something I was super interested in and, you know, I grew up and, and, uh, found punk rock and girls and kind of drifted away. But then when I was, once I sort of settled down, I started looking back into it again and wrote some articles. Uh, one of them got picked up, uh, well, it's from my friend's magazine called morbid curiosity, which is like true stories. Like it's kind of like all dark stuff, but, but true stories. And I wrote about, uh, hex hollow and that, and then that got picked up by the weird USA, weird Pennsylvania books, mm. which they publish in a severely edited form right but uh, when they published that they said hey um we're going to do this story about toad road would you take photos for that i said yeah i'll take photos for that i said but please 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 let me proofread the story before you publish it because there's a lot of nonsense out there and they published the book and right next to their nonsense story which looked like they cut and, or just copied and pasted off the, the internet 
about you know some burning insane asylum and people being murdered and stuff that's completely <laughs> false was yeah. my pictures and i was like uh, oh no 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 uh-uh not gonna happen so right at that moment i said i, I need to correct this and i was originally going to do it like as a magazine article i didn't know where it was going to be published I, I didn't think there'd be enough for a book and then about you know halfway into it i'm like oh i guess this is going to be a book and then i just went from there and uh, in, in order to basically I started listening to podcasts, I was going through some really uh, troubling times with my birth family, just 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 yucky stuff. Um, I was having trouble sleeping and I just needed something to concentrate on that wasn't, you know, my my personal problems. And I found Sasquatch Chronicles. And, uh, you know, this is why I never take it as an insult when people tell me they sleep to strange familiars. Right. I take that as an absolute compliment because Sasquatch Chronicles. A, I loved it, but B, it helped me concentrate on something else and it helped me get back to sleep. And then I ran, I ran out of episodes of that and I was like, well, what else? And the second podcast I found was Where Did the Road Go? I don't know how. <laughs> I stumbled onto it. And uh, then it was, you know, I bounced back and forth between those two and, and didn't find too much else right away. I know there was a lot more out there, but for some reason, those were the two like I really gravitated to. There were a couple others. I'm trying to remember what Dave Schrader's old podcast was. Oh. Was um, it Darkness Radio? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I used to like that one a, a lot. But it was my main two were Sasquatch Chronicles and Where Did the Road Go? And uh, you know, a, a short time later I thought maybe I'm gonna try to do a podcast. And Soraya, you were like, do a podcast. Well you <laughs> straight away. And now and now you can't get rid of Soraya. <laughs> <laughs> well I think initially you wanted to do a documentary. Yeah. Well what I wanted to do is I, I approached both you and Sasquatch Chronicles about doing an audio documentary version of my book, basically. And Wes didn't write me back and it wasn't out of rudeness. I'm great friends with Wes. He's a great guy. He's super busy. That's all. Just like I am. His his email box is just filled to the brim. And I never take offense when if I pitch something to Wes and I don't hear back from him. I know how busy he is. Right. He's got a life outside of a podcast. too. So uh, he didn't get back to me. And I, and I pitched it to you. And I think that's when you were like, well, instead of that, why don't you just do your own podcast? Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I ran on the Where Did the Road Go feed for quite a while at first, which got you some, some instant uh, exposure. Yeah. At least the first year, I think. Right? Yeah. Until YouTube started giving us problems with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it was on there till um, 2018. Okay. So two years. So it was because it was summer 2018 that they started uh, demonetizing me because I was running your show. Okay. Yeah. I think I started in February 2017, I think maybe. Okay. I, About a year yeah. and a half. Yeah. Something like that. But uh, yeah. I mean, the first, the first episode you did right off the bat, I was like, no, this is really cool. You need to keep doing this. And it's evolved well, so much since then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I, I mean, originally that was the idea. I was going to do on-site shows every single episode, and then I realized very shortly into this, like, I am not going to be able to manage that. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> so so the, the hard question I have for you, because I don't know the answer myself to this one, is where would you be if you didn't take this path? Mm, wow. Yeah. For me, that's really, really hard because here's the thing. Um, when I got diagnosed with MS, there weren't a heck of a lot of options for me. Yeah. And um, I've tried to get disability and they, they turned me down twice so far. Um, I cannot work a normal job. Um, they, they tell me things like, you know, you can work on, a, on an assembly line. I'm like, well, no, I can't because I need to, you know, with MS, you need to have breaks. Yeah. I don't get a lot of warning when I, when I uh, need to urinate, you know, it's, it's like, and I, I can't ask permission, you know, I can't right. be like, Hey, can I please use the bathroom? <laughs> you know? And what I, what I would tell him em, employer, potential employers is like, look, 
I'm going to be there and I'll be your best employee most of the time. <laughs> but there are going to be days where I can't do it, where I have to lay down. Yeah. And no employer wants to hear that, except, there, you know, there's a small, small family businesses that knew me anyway. Like I worked for a guitar shop for a while. And they knew me and they understood the situation. They were a family business. They got it. You know, they understood. <clears throat> uh, but that was a part time job. You know, you don't make a living. You don't raise a family on a guitar shop uh, income. Right. Right. So I didn't have a lot of options. And, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. And, you know, thankfully, you know, luck, divine intervention, whatever happened. Thankfully, this combination of things I'm doing, the podcast, the books, the artwork, the illustration, uh, music, it somehow clicked. and. And it's paying bills. So I don't have any other options. This this has to work for me. Right. So what would I right. be doing without this? I'd probably be starving. <laughs> what about you, Josh? Well, <clears throat> I, uh, sorry, I got a little bit of a frog in my throat. <clears throat> I, uh, was on the, I've, I've had careers yanked out from underneath my feet so many different times. It's not funny. Um, you know, part of, I was on this classical musician route um, that I didn't realize quite how much I hated it until it was taken away from me. So that really ended up being a blessing. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I, 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 I have a master's in music and I also have a master's in, in journalism. Um, the joke that I say is that I, I fleed one sinking ship for another one. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I was working uh, as director of the uh, public, re public relations director of the School of Music at, at UGA. Um, before I left. Um, and then I ended up freelancing, doing some teaching and playing, but now it's evolved into me just doing, um, basically just writing about the paranormal and, um, and, and playing music, not necessarily teaching music. So, um, you know, I have a real love for new Orleans music. Uh, I would probably have, uh, thrown myself into that a little bit more than I already have. Although, you know, <clears throat> Even though I, I get a lot of calls um, to play gigs, I, I looked at last year, I think I played an average of about four dates a month, which, you know, for somebody who doesn't double on bass as well as tuba is, it's not bad. Like I just play tuba, but still, that's not, that's not a, a schedule again that you can actually support a family or, right, you know, help support right. a family on. So um, I probably would have, you know, continued to teach more music. Um, and, you know, I tried pursuing the, uh, arts PR angle, but, um, I actually, I was going to, you know, I was going to write a Trojan feast and I was gonna be like, Oh, I'll just do books as, you know, like sort of a side business. But, um, it became apparent when I applied to another job, I distinctly remember that there was one in Nashville that I made it through like three or four callbacks for. And then I think finally they decided to Google me <laughs> and they're like, Oh, crazy UFO person. <laughs> so then I was like, okay, well, you know, I, this is, this is, um, I, I, I stepped in, <clears throat> I stepped in the UFO thing and I, you can't shake that off your boot no matter how much you try. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I was kind of forced to continue doing this. And, and this past year was the first year where it's like, okay, this is, this is actually, you know, a, a career with a living wage attached to it. Um, nice. and, uh, yeah, so I, I, I am again, as, as Tim alluded to very, blessed and lucky and, and all of yes. those, all of those things to be able to do this in this space. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I probably, I mean, if I had my choice of anything, you know, circumstances notwithstanding, I'd probably just play. Like sometimes I still think that I'm a better tuba player than I am a writer. Um, but, uh, at the same time, um, I just, I, I really do love this stuff. And, um, I just think it's, you know, at the end of the day, I just think all this stuff is neat. 
You know, it's not like I'm not going to go to war with someone over the ontology of the UFO phenomenon. I just think it's all neat, you know, and I have my own pet theories like anybody does. But I just think that there's there's already enough. Um, there's already enough animosity in the world. We don't need to be fighting over each other over what UFOs are, you know, <laughs> as long as everybody's approaching the topic with intellectual honesty. Um, I think that there's room for a lot of different opinions. Yes. Unfortunately, not everyone approaches it with intellectual honesty. That's, that's part of the issue. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I saw something the other day that was like, you know, well, if, if, if the UFO, uh, they weren't even really referencing my work, but they were like, if if the the UFO contact experience so closely resembles, you know, the alien abductions, like Kenneth Ring suggested, like, why don't we see more aliens in near death experiences? And some people, some people were like, well, that speaks for itself, doesn't it? And I'm like, well, number one, like, you're really underestimating the number of UFO experiences that involve beings that look like people or beings that look like orbs of light right. or light beings, you know, and those are all over near death experiences. So like, that's kind of disingenuous on its face to, to suggest that. So I, th- I think it's a combination of people who just want th- these phenomena to be a certain way yes, and a yes. combination of people who, you know, who just are quite frankly, you know, under, under read on some of these topics, because if you're into UFOs, you probably aren't reading a lot of the near death experience literature and vice versa. You know, right. it's, it's, it's a very short list. The number of people who can talk about a lot of these different things. So that's, I don't really blame anybody in that regard. I mean, for me, I feel like this was the thing I was supposed to do my whole life. It's just not something I could have done prior, you know, maybe a few years earlier. But, like, I think the time was right for it when the time was right for it. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. Um, There's that great quote, and I always get it wrong, but I I think I always give the essence of it right, which is um, Charles Fort was talking about things happening during their appointed time, and you can't force the time for something to happen earlier than it's destined to. And the, the example that he used was the fact that, uh, you know, we had the keys to the industrial revolution and the steam, uh, steam power, you know, in, on every cook stove, <laughs> whenever the kettle went off, but mm. we didn't really know about it until it was steam engine time, I think is what Fort referred to it as. So it's kind of like, I see that playing out in a lot of people's lives where it's like, you know, the timing just had to be right. And a lot of times, when you end up doing this stuff, it feels like it's, it's out of your hands, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, cause other than that, I was doing computer repair stuff and I was doing the music show, but the music stuff, you know, for me with any of this stuff, any of the stuff I do, I'm generally trying to help people. That's, that's sort of my first goal. So like, you know, a lot of my computer customers are on fixed income. So I'm not charging what your average computer tech would, would charge to make a house call because they can't afford it. And I would rather fix it for them and get paid a little less than them not be able to have a, you know, computer. I mean, there was one woman who was a regular customer and she had lost her job. And now you have to have a computer basically to apply for a job. Yeah. And she's like, um, you know, how much is it going to cost? And I just fixed it and didn't charge her. I'm like, don't worry about it. You've been a customer for like two years. Just it's fine. Um, well, karma but, is a thing, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a real thing. And with the music so. stuff, I mean, I'm interested in helping independent bands and guess who doesn't have money? Independent yep. bands. Yep. Really? So, <laughs> so it's, you know, I haven't exactly chosen the, the money making professions. Um, you know, we have our whole studio now for, for last exit. We've t- plugged a ton of money into it. We did some of it with donations, but I mean, we're not charging bands to do all this work and, and give them music and video and photos of their stuff. And some of these bands, like the last band we had play last year, it was the third time they ever played out. 
So mm-hmm. they had nothing. And so now they have a whole, mm-hmm. you know, seven songs to work with that's recorded in good quality. They got video. They got the whole nine yards to help them get shows and promote themselves. And they yeah, actually make a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. And afterwards they did donate, which was awesome. They asked, can we, can we give you some money? You know? And I was like, sure. I'm not going to complain about that, but most yeah. of these bands don't have a cent to their name. So I don't know what else I would be doing if I hadn't started. Where did the road go? Eventually I'll have a book. Really? Yeah, I know. I promise. <laughs> no, I believe you. <laughs> it's very close to done. Or at least part one is. All right. So what I did tonight too, is I asked patrons for questions for you guys. Because uh, they're awesome, and without the show, without the patrons, the show really wouldn't be what it is. It would be very hard to do. Um, So I figured they were the best one to ask us what to talk about on the show. I feel like that could have come out smoother, but it didn't. All right. So the first (laughs) one uh, could probably be a show. From Will Powell, I think the obvious question to discuss, and a bunch of people seconded this, uh, would would be to, to where do you think progress in our terms of understanding has been made over time? Uh, I think that was going to be to discuss where you think progress in terms of our understanding has been made over that time. How has it evolved? You could then also speculate on how you think you see things developing in the next few years. Well, um, something that I think is really interesting that I've noticed <clears throat> as a trend um, is the fact that we we. The fact that the UFO community as a whole um, used to derogatorily talk about people as repeaters. Oh, yeah. You know, that was one of the things that was one of the things that sort of made your story less credible. Yeah. And it's been interesting how that has been turned into a complete 180 in terms of bolstering someone's credibility. It seems like now, you know, that the Kenneth Ring term um, encounter prone personality yeah. um, seems to really suggest that there is something about individuals who have these experiences over and over again. So I think that's been a really interesting um, shift in the way that we talk about these topics. I, that's a good one. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I've noticed that even in, I think in the time that I've been doing strange familiars, I've noticed more openness to that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like the, the one-off encounters are more rare than the repeated encounters, but sometimes I think too, People are having different types of experiences. So, you know, they might have a UFO sighting, but they're not going to tell the UFO investigator about their poltergeist or their Bigfoot right. sighting, right. especially because they want to be taken seriously and they don't want the guy to be like, oh, yeah, so you just happen to also see Bigfoot, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Although I would be remiss if I didn't say that that has, I've seen a thawing effect in that approach too, even since I've been involved. Yes. Oh, absolutely. But I think that, um, you know, for, for there may, what I'm saying is I think there's a lot of one-off encounters out there that probably weren't one-off encounters. They mm-hmm. might've been one-off Bigfoot sightings or one-off UFO sightings, but there was other stuff there that wasn't talked about in the past. hundred percent. This is one of the, right. when I'm caught out on a Bigfoot investigation, I'd let them do all the Bigfoot stuff. And then when they're done telling that, I say, so what else weird is going on? Yeah. And I won't say a hundred percent of the time, but very close. <laughs> Let's say at least 80% of the time they're like, oh yeah, yeah, dude, my house is haunted or, you know, yeah, you know, I saw weird lights down the road, whatever it is. They almost always have. And usually it's more than one thing. Usually it's multiple other things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also the difference. It's not just repeated like Bigfoot sightings, repeated UFO sightings. It's a variety of encounters, which also suggests that these things are connected in some way. Yep. And I think part of, part of that connection is us, that we're, mm-hmm. you know, certain people are able to perceive these things, not that they're necessarily the exact same thing. Mm. Although it's hard to say because there's so many factors. 
Yeah. I, I always liked Paul Kimball's idea of this this being like some kind of like the other basically using our world to do art projects. It's one. Yeah, go ahead. I do. I no. I I do love that idea. Um, and because I mean, if if you're going, if you if you're in this field long enough, you have to start trying to reconcile all the nonsense that is high strangeness. Yeah. yeah. I also noticed. Sorry. That- that high strangeness gets thrown around a little too easily nowadays. I may be guilty of that. Really? Yeah, I, I just like it as a term better than like paranormal or something. Okay. So I probably okay. end up overused. Well, as a replacement for the term, it's fine. It's just when I see so many things being like, oh, high strangeness, UFO encounter. And then, you know, it's like, oh, it's this is just a, a light in the sky. How is this high strangeness? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I, 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 I'm going <clears> to <throat> j'accuse Timothy Renner. Um, I do think that we need to sort of preserve that dream logic quality of the original meeting um, because it's really easy to to weird wash this stuff. Um, and if, if you're like, oh, yeah, of course, they're all strange, then, you know, maybe that doesn't do the actual subject matter itself any service well i mean i don't think tim's saying well they are, they are all strange compared to normal reality right right but it's but, you know there's like the, to me uh, to me the high strangest ones are the ones that are completely ridiculous right like you know the, the dream uh, the, yeah yeah one of my favorite encounters is the uh there's a case from peru in the 1950s where the witness is driving along the coast and they see a park flying saucer and standing outside are a trio of beings that look like they're covered in terry cloth, but kind of, but they have one leg that looks like it's fused together like a pair of twin bananas. And then they have jelly, <laughs> the jelly blobs for heads and they reproduce asexually in front of him. Right. <laughs> like, like that's like, okay. Yeah. That's how strange it is. <laughs> but yeah, it's that dream logic sort of thing that dream, dreamy sort of like, this is the type of stuff you dream about, but you're watching it ha- unfold in actual reality. Right. Hmm. Uh, where do you think things are going? Do you think they're going in a good or a bad way? What would you predict for the future? Two steps forward, one step back, probably. Yeah. You know, I, I see that, you know, when, when we published Where the Footprints End, I was surprised at the reception. I was surprised at how little fighting we had to do in that community. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we, we, there were a few people, mostly in uh, bad reviews on, on Amazon, but, um, you know, and, and now that there are bad reviews, we have overwhelmingly good reviews. Thank thank you, everyone who's done that. But uh, there were a few people who pushed back, but I thought it was going to be a lot worse. I thought we were going to be getting to some like serious yes. knockdown, drag out fights with. And it, it just didn't happen. And it seemed like people were ready for it. But then, I you know, of late, I see this sort of uh, swing back of these like really hardcore flesh and blood people basically like ridiculing anybody. You know, it's like back to, to the way it was five years ago. Yeah. Ridiculing anybody who has anything weird with Bigfoot and saying that that's not Bigfoot. If anything weird happens, it's not Bigfoot. It's just like, where is this going? Like, I thought we I thought we broke that wall a little bit or at least put a big crack in it. You did. And then it, se- it seems like, you know, here it swings back. The pendulum swings back the other way. The I, I do honestly think that over time, that couple of books you guys wrote are going to be looked at the same way uh, Passport to Magonia is. Well, that's an extremely high compliment. And, and thank you for that. I, I hope that's true. Well, it's deserving. I mean, you, you have written a very scholarly book looking at both folklore, science, and, you know, just plain encounters. And, you, you know, you've done the work. You're not just throwing stuff out there. 
and you've shown the connections and how this stuff is stranger than most people think. I, I just and I would be sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just beat my head up against the wall when people are like, "Oh, it rarely ever happens." It's like, are you crazy? <laughs> like, like we like look those two books. We were picking and choosing. If we tried to include everything, it would have been ten books. And, and again, yeah. how many of those encounters were the other weird stuff left out of, you know, that, that looked like just basic Bigfoot encounters, but really had other weird stuff attached. Yep. Yeah. And you know, how many, how many strange aspects of these encounters have been lost to time, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. how many roadside crossings were really genuinely peculiar, but the, you know, by the time it made its way to the research organization, those aspects got tossed out. I was just going to say, I'd be remiss. I mean, <clears throat> you're talking about how good that project was, but it, it really was Tim's idea. Like, I, I probably would not have tried to tackle that. Um, and I, I think that, that Tim deserves uh, a, a good chunk of the credit for, for why that. I mean, I don't, I don't know what made you think it was a good time to do it, Tim. Um, but like, as you said in one of your, uh, I think you said it during your Alba Twitch day talks, um, that you had, um, it was, it, it hit the peak of the wave at the right time. Like, yeah. I don't know why, but it, it really did seem to. And I don't know if that was your gut telling you that or what, but it worked. It worked. My thought was that somebody else should have written it. <laughs> That's all. And I was, yeah. it was. It was kind of like this book should have been written 20 years ago. We need to write it now. Um, yeah. And you know, that that's that was all that went into it, I guess. It was like the book that I wanted to exist, you know? Well, that's that's the thing about a lot of these just a lot of these fields is that a lot, I feel like every book that I've written is a book that should have been written like, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. It's like there's just a lot of stuff that that people have left on the table but um, who, yeah. because but who, we're, because we're always chasing like the Pat is Patterson Gimlin real is is Roswell real. And it's like, well, yeah. you know, there's a lot of other stuff to talk about besides that. And who else would have written it, honestly? Because there aren't that many most multidisciplinary Fortians out there who have the the sort of knowledge that the both of you guys have. Oh, Stan Gordon kind of wrote it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, with with, Stan, uh, with and not to take Silent a single invasion. thing away from Stan. Nowhere the footprints end without Stan. I love Stan to death, but Stan is very Pennsylvania focused. I don't know that that he would expand his vision beyond Pennsylvania, you know, um, uh, Al Berry and Ann Slate, they had a lot of that stuff in their Bigfoot book from what was that? 74, but they didn't connect the dots. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. they just put it, put it out there. Uh, well, I got another great book. And again, you know, grandfather of where the footprints end. Certainly. I absolutely love that book. Now, now both of you have told me that that part of what turned you guys against the flesh and blood was me pointing out the wilderness poltergeist idea. And, Red Pill then informed me that Lauren Coleman mentioned this connection back in like the 70s and never went anywhere with it. Yeah, he, he didn't seem to, he kind of laid it out there and then didn't seem to like explore it too deeply. Yeah, you know? I distinctly remember when, when Lauren was in control of uh, Crypto Mundo that there was a post about Tony Healy's paper on Yowies and things that seemed poltergeist-esque. And he was like, is this, a, is this an aspect of the phenomenon that we should be covering? Um, and then, you know, nobody really did cover it. So, yeah. um, I mean, it, it occurred to me after reading, uh, Devereaux's or not Devereaux, uh, Willette's illuminations where he's looking at UFO, you know, waves as poltergeist phenomena. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. And then I think right after that, something there was some something else that triggered it. And I went, wait a minute, stones being thrown, vocalizations. Uh, it's the same damn thing. We're just not seeing a Bigfoot. I mean, just, just. Probably just as much weight as that, although we we don't tend to talk about it in terms of Bigfoot as much. And 
right. I mean, you know, if, if, if you'd like me to tip the hat towards you, I'd say this this carries as much weight as when you said lights in the woods, Bigfoot, lights in the sky, yeah. UFO, yeah. lights in the house, yeah. ghosts. Mm-hmm. That, that, to me, carried as much weight, I think, as, as the wilderness poltergeist thing. Yeah, yeah. And Josh did name the wilderness poltergeist the wilderness poltergeist. It was such a perfect yeah. name for it. You just threw I've it out been, there. Been, you threw well, it out there I, during I, that round table, I think, when I brought this stuff up, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's what it is." <laughs> I've read. I've read that Wildnisgeist is not pro- perhaps the the best way to have represented it in German. Um, yeah, but yeah. you know, but whatever. <laughs> if somebody else wants to rename it, that's fine by me. I don't have any. I don't it's have really, any it's really cool. That. Cool uh, dark ambient fan, though. I hear. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So actually, let's jump to the Wilderness Poltergeist question here. Okay, so this came from uh, Arthur Parvati, uh, Parvati um, and he says, congratulations on 11 years. Despite the explosions in po- explosion in podcast, you're still one of my absolute favorites, so thank you for that. Uh, he said, so when you had W.T. Watson on for the Forest Poltergeist episodes, I was tempted to ask you to have a follow-up roundtable with Josh and Tim and ask them how they felt about that that theory today, and I didn't because you know how to run your own show and you don't need donkeys like me butting in. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, but if you have time, have Tim and Josh on the show, I was wondering if you could ask them what their current feeling on the whole wilderness poltergeist is and why, for example, we see things re- uh, thing for example things we repeatedly see in poltergeist cases like levitation and spontaneous fires are things we rarely see in bigfoot cases. Mm. <clears throat> um, yeah. One more part. Is there one more part here? Yeah. Um, Also, place, poltergeist cases seem to happen anywhere, yet Bigfoot wilderness poltergeist cases seem to happen somewhere. I mean, looking at Tim's work at Site 7, Pandemonium, the Witch Cloud Bridges, these are all places where stuff happened. We uh, almost get that whole Gettysburg idea, the battle happened here, and that's why we see a ghost at Gettysburg. Or was the battle held at Gettysburg because the site was already primed and drawing violence in because it had seen such a huge Native American battles too? Mm. Simple questions here. <laughs> Good questions. Yes. So the question for me, you know, just to take the last part first regarding Gettysburg is, is why were these two big battles completely unrelated? One before the Europeans ever got here, I think it was uh, hundreds of years, either 100 or 300, I forget, I forget the number. Hundreds of years before the Europeans got here, there's this huge uh, Native American battle in Gettysburg. And then the Civil War battle happens in the same place. Like, why Why is that? Like, what is drawing them there? And then to me, that speaks to something else going on there. And maybe these things are drawn there, including the ghosts. You know, I, I, I'm at the point where I believe very few ghosts are actually the souls of dead people. I think yes. there's, there are other things. Agreed. So what is what is happening there, you know? So, um, you know, just to take the last part first, that's, that's kind of what I feel about Gettysburg. I feel like there, there's something else there and what it is. I don't know. It I seems to like- me like we should explore that at some point, Timothy. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, the, the earth remembers. certainly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Josh. Um, so yeah, I mean, alongside everything that Tim just said, specifically to the Gettysburg question, um, you know, I, I've always found it fascinating that, you know, when you go to Gettysburg and you go to devil's den where there were so many, you know, snipers and horrific deaths, um, you're like, Oh, it's called devil's den because of the battle. And it's like, Nope, there was a legend of a giant snake there. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, okay, okay. You know, of course you have to sort of, you have to sort of adjust for 
factors that would lead to a battlefield being anywhere, you know, um, by which I mean proximity to civilizations, which, or sorry, settlements rather, which any civilization would probably, you know, draw upon the same things like water and enough land and stuff. It might just be a good place to have a battle, but I think that there are some questions there that are worth examining. Um, now, as far as the thing about the Wildnisgeist and, uh, how I feel about it now and how it doesn't, um, conform to a lot of the other things that we see in, um, in other poltergeist cases. Uh, it's a great question. Um, I, my own personal opinions have changed on this such that, you know, one of the things that you said to me, Soraya, a long time ago that I absolutely hated you for saying, um, because it was something that was something I didn't want to hear, um, was the possibility that some of this stuff might be self-generated. Um, and, uh, I've come around to that in a big way. Um, uh, so I, I'd say that's one way that my opinions on sort of the, the suite of poltergeist effects appearing in conjunction with Bigfoot sightings has developed and has sort of changed is that I am more open to the idea that we're causing this stuff as much as that, it, you know, that there's a, there there, <laughs> like that there's something external to us that's doing it as well. Now, as for the question about why we don't see the entire suite of poltergeist effects in Bigfoot accounts. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. There's some stuff that's always conspicuously absent. I mean, the, the spontaneous fires aspect is conspicuously absent. I would say Explain th- forest fires, Josh. Right. <laughs> nice. Oh, oh, only, only Bigfoot can present, prevent forest fires. <laughs> um, I will say that, you know, not every poltergeist case has that element either. Right. But I would also say that I see this in other aspects of the paranormal as well. Um, by which I mean, if you look at something like ecology of souls, like the entire thrust of that book is like, look at all these encounters with these other beings that, um, that mirror, you know, the near death experience, you know, this one, this one, this one, but in every one of those cases, it was, none of them were a hundred per every one of those contact modalities that I looked at, right? Like, you know, theories, cryptids, uh, alien abductions, altered states of consciousness, et cetera. It was never a hundred percent match, right? It was always an 80% match and it wasn't always the same things that were missing. Like one modality you, you had to like, you know, a B D E F and another one would be like B C D F, right. you know, it would, it would be sort of mixed and matched. So I think that like, as as much as I support the idea of a one size fits all pan paranormal perspective, it's disingenuous to say that that is absolutely you know 100% the case. So I think that's an important thing to remember. Um, also, at the same time, like I'm not entirely sure if we didn't go back for footprints round three and looked hard enough and contacted people, especially with how many people have contacted us since that book. I'm not sure that we wouldn't find cases of like, you know, spontaneous fires. Um, I, I would think that we would find a couple, but yeah, I mean, it, but it is a good point. I would just say that like these things, they hate, they hate rules. Like the, the analogy that I've been fond of using lately is that if you've ever tried to like pick up a watermelon seed, and like you get it between your fingers. If you apply apply any pressure, it just like pew, it just flies across the room the moment you try to pin it down and apply pressure. And I think that's the way that these things work. So to that end, yeah, I don't think that we would ever find a hundred percent match between these different modalities. But it's I guess what I guess what the Wildnisgeist concept is is it's more of a poltergeist shape to the phenomenon than it actually is a one to one match. 
Well, I think that we're using that, that in both cases, you have PK and energy involved, psychokinetic energy, yeah, which is something that has been proved to exist in labs, even though we can't explain how it works. Its existence is pretty, it's pretty much solidly proved in laboratory experiments, if, as much as some skeptics yeah. would like to deny that. Um, but I think because that energy is coming from us, our expectation shapes part of it. So, like, if you mm. look at poltergeist cases, there's not a lot of spontaneous fires in, sp in poltergeist cases. Uh, there are some. And it was, uh, oh, who wrote the book on that? Uh, where he Colin said, Wilson? No, um, guy from Australia. He stopped writing uh, this stuff. Uh, he did. Oh, was he writing about the Humpty Doo thing? No, he was writing about how uh, spontaneous human combustion might also relate oh. to poltergeists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the tip, uh, Louis, Louis proud, Louis proud. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, and so that was the thing he was showing how spontaneous human combustion also conforms to this, this spontaneous PK energy. Um, but instead it's, it's, you know, self inflicted harm, just like a lot of poltergeist stuff is. Um, but I think the reason we see different stuff in the wilderness than we see in the house is partially because the energy is coming from us. Even if something else is using it. The energy is initially coming from us, and so it's it's being shaped somewhat by our expectation of what it is. Mm. So we don't – sometimes you hear monkey sounds in a haunted house, but it's less likely – it's more likely you're going to hear some kind of ghostly type of, of, of sound. But in the right. wilderness, you might hear more of an ape type of sound. And again, it's probably the same um, thing doing it, the same type of energy creating this – but I think we're projecting differently onto it, and thus it represents differently out there. And I don't think it matters if it comes 100% from us or if it comes from uh, something drawing from that energy. The other thing is when people are out in the wilderness, you know, like he's saying, there's certain sites. I think part of what's happening is people are going into these, these areas, wilderness areas. They're getting away from all the electromagnetic interference and stuff like that. Mm. So they're becoming more sensitive. And certain areas of the earth just are better primed for generating types of PK energy and affecting our brains. Yeah. So that's the difference between that and, say, a haunted house, which might um, be affected by – might also have environmental effects you know, going on there, but it could also be amped up by, say, tragedy happening there at some point. See, my takeaway from this conversation is that we need a Paul Devereaux Bigfoot book. We really do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> And for anyone who doesn't know Paul Devereaux, he, uh, he's done a lot of work with Earth Lights and showed how a lot of UFO sightings follow fault lines and stuff like that. I don't think he gets enough, enough love in modern discussion no. of this stuff. No, he was one of the people that really had an impact on me when I read his Earth Lights book. So, all right. I think we covered most of that question. So, uh, the next question I had here, I'm going to start with Tim since this is how he, um, well, I guess this okay. So, for Matt in Delaware. He said, for Josh and Tim, did either of you have noteworthy paranormal experiences in 2023? Mm, it's hard to remember <laughs> um, <laughs> because, um, you know, I'm going out specifically to try to experience things. Nothing like, to my recall, nothing like super ground shaking kind of thing. Um, Josh saw some lights at Site 7. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, so much of my stuff falls into like this maybe category and, um, site seven has kind of become my white whale, I guess. Um, <laughs> because every time I go, I'm like, something's going to happen this time. It's going to happen this time. But, um, so we went further in, uh, than I have been in the past. 
um, and this was um, in November. And I was rounding a bend in a corner, or a, you know, a bend in the trail. And I saw through the crook of a tree, uh, moving from the four o'clock position to the ten o'clock position diagonally, uh, what I assumed at the time uh, was a headlight because it had the quality of a headlight or whatever. It did not appear to be paired. Um, and I saw it for about three seconds, during which it passed behind foliage, tree branches, stumps, whatever, um, two or three times, you know. And, uh, I said to Tim and the other person who was with us, I said, I said, Oh, there's a headlight over there. And they both said, there's no way that that was a headlight over there. Like there's, uh, you know, number one, like there's not a road over there. <laughs> like there's a mountain over there, but there's no, there's no road on this side in, you know, in terms of a location of site seven. And also, um, you know, we, if it was an ATV, we didn't hear anything. Like it was real quiet. So it was a maybe light, you know? Okay. All right, that's fair. I know it sounds super lame compared to what you guys experienced, but that's 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 a red letter day for me. So I mean, there there should not have been anything over there, yeah. like at all. Right? I mean, we 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 drove we drove around where it would have been. Like, there's no access to that that particular point where that would have shown the light. So it just looked like a it looked like a car that was moving along the mountainside, you know. But one one headlight, yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, that counts. I mean, it's more than I've yeah. seen at Site 7, I think. Yeah. I mean, I've seen little glimmers of stuff that I couldn't 100% say I even totally saw. And then there was the rock that hit Tim's truck when we were just standing there. And, and remember that, Tim? Yeah, yeah. So That's actually happened a few times. Uh, it was funny because one night I thought we had something thrown at us. And I said, go ahead. I was there with the, another uh, podcaster. I'm trying to remember the name of her podcast. Uh Anyway, uh, um, I was there with John, who was who was with Josh and I and and these uh, two women from this other podcast. And I was like, oh, go ahead and, and you know, hit hit my Jeep next time because that has worked for me before um, when, when we were at uh, Gazoo's Woods one time and Chad got like Chad asked for something. I was like, don't do that. I was very <laughs> mad at him. He's like, we left you a gift in the cemetery. We would like something back, please. And as soon as he said that, we got this <laughs> really weird call back from the woods. I was like. Chad, don't do that. But then I was like kind of jealous. And I was like, we thought we had been getting what well, we had been getting stones thrown us all night there. And I was like, hey, throw something. And I said, don't don't hit me, though. Make it land right at my feet or right beside me. And on cue, just something whips through the trees and just lands right beside me. Boom. And, and I was like, what? It was pretty crazy. But anyway, I was thinking about that when we were at Site 7. I was like, hey, do it again and hit my Jeep. Like, and it didn't happen that night, except after I dropped everybody else off, John was the last person I dropped dropped back at his place and uh, he got out of the Jeep and I'm backing up and I hear something bink right on top of the the roof of the Jeep. Now this is, <laughs> you know, five miles away from site seven at this point. Uh, and I was like, what? And I was like, that was weird. And I drove away. But the cool thing about that was, was like John the next day, he was like, man, when I got out of the car, he's like, I heard something in the woods across the street from my house. He's like, it kind of freaked me out. He's like, I don't know what it was. And, and John, John's a forager. He's an, he's a serious outdoorsman. So if it's something that, that bugged him that he couldn't, you know, put a uh, put his thumb on what it was, it's pretty interesting. But then, then I was like, well, you know, I, I did have a stone hit my Jeep as I asked for. It just wasn't at Site 7. You know, there, there's another similarity with poltergeist stuff is that, A, poltergeists will respond to things like that. And, B, they rarely actually hit you with things. Mm -hmm. mm. So I'm very... 
I'm I'm very specific because of the uh oh the the uh, Minerva monster account where the woman's like, if you're so good, hit me right between the eyes with a rock. The, the, they, what they thought was Bigfoot was throwing rocks at him, and it whipped one and hit her, broke her glasses, hit her oh. right between the eyes. So I'm always very careful, and I'm like, hey, throw one, but don't hit me. <laughs> I, I think that happened at Enfield, too, where, where someone said something about it not hurting people or something, and it threw a Lego at this guy's face, and wow. it hit him with such force that it, like, like cut him open. Which it, oh, wow. You know, for, to sh- throw a Lego that hard is is pretty impressive. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because because there was the the rock, which I mean, that alone isn't enough for me to say that was paranormal. But at the same time, I don't know how a rock would have hit your truck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the other thing was the weird airplane noise that you didn't hear at first. Yeah, that yeah. that went I, on for like ten, fifteen minutes, and I was like, "What the hell is going on?" Yeah, I think I yeah, and I think when playback, I heard it. Yes, but I was like, yeah, I was like, and you were like, yeah, I, t- I mentioned that at the time, and I, and I was like, oh, okay, it was one of those things where it just didn't click for me, I guess. It just out of, out of your hearing for whatever reason. <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah, I would, uh, I would love to have a rock hit a car. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I did do so, I did do more field work in 2023 than I have done in a long time, and uh, not a lot of luck. Uh, there was a research site that I went to um, where I saw Starlink, which was pretty cool. But Starlink is not a UFO. Um, and I remember on the way out of the site, I was like, can I just see a bear? Like, I'd be happy just to see a bear. <laughs> just just a bear. You know, just a regular old bear. And no, no, I didn't even get that. So, um, We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Quick mid-show break. And first off, I want to say thank you to everyone who has listened to, supported this show in any way. Uh, 11 years. I can't believe it's 11 years. I also don't remember what it was like not doing this show. It just seems like it's always been a part of my life and something I was meant to do. So I'm, I'm very happy that there are those of you out there who get something out of this and have shown the, uh, just overwhelming support you have over the last 11 years. Um, as far as contact, um, where do the road go.com has everything. And uh, all our social media, Discord, I mean, everything is linked to there. If you go into the contact section, you'll find the emails where you can send us things like your personal paranormal stories at stories at wheretotheroadgo.com. As for a recommendation, I'm going to go with one that I, I don't think I've ever recommended before. Alice Isn't Dead. And this is done by uh, some of the people who do Night Vale. Uh, welcome to Night Vale. And uh, it starts off really really good the ending's okay but man the, the the journey to that ending is is fantastic i really really loved it and uh it is sort of a weird surreal trip through like a sci-fi paranormal landscape i don't i don't know how better to describe it it's just a very strange story and there's some episodes that are just uh mesmerizing yeah. So Alice Isn't Dead is my recommendation if you haven't checked that out yet. I think there might be a book as well. I'm not sure. I've not, not read the book. I've only listened to the podcast. But uh, yeah, there you go. All right. Let's get back to the show. So I am here on this edition of Where Did the Road Go? The 11th anniversary edition with Joshua Cutchin and Mr. Timothy Renner. Two people I am uh, much richer for having in my life. Aww. It's totally true. So take it, damn oh. it. <laughs> it is... It is a mutual admiration society. Um, Indeed. So uh, Matt from Delaware, Tim, asks you, since York County is close to where I am in northern Delaware, 
I'm curious if you have ever received sighting or encounter stories from Delaware. Mm. Not until very recently. Really? Uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, two weeks ago, maybe three, three weeks ago on the show, a woman from Delaware called with uh, some um, lights in the woods, like were manifested in her house kind of thing. Uh, some stuff to do with a Revolutionary War battlefield that's there. And then uh, I think so, uh, I think she had like a, a what she was referring to as a, a werewolf or a dog man kind of thing as well. Interesting. Okay. Um, and for Josh, where did that go? Uh, we, okay. He says, with 2023 being the year of UFO disclosure, joking, <laughs> could 2024 be the year of Faye disclosure? In all seriousness, <laughs> do you think there is any government interest in the Faye or the Faye encounters? I mean, I'm... In terms of, I, I think that there's a, a level of plausible deniability and ridicule factor baked into the fairy stuff that sure. they don't even feel that there's a need to exert any pressure or influence over that. Um, you know, having said that, I'm, I'm kind of more bullish on disclosure uh, than I have been. And I'm trying to be cognizant of why that might be. Um, because it's so out of character for myself that I'm like questioning myself about feeling that way. But my perspective on the goals of disclosure has changed in recent months. And, um, you know, I've been sitting here saying, well, you know, disclosure is not going to happen because uh, we're not going to get the right. We're, we're not going to get an objective read on what the phenomenon is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because I was thinking that, you know, disclosure would be they come out and be like, you know, my fellow Americans, we're being visited by people from Zebel Ganubi who are in there. You know, TRX95 StarCraft. I thought, I thought it would be hyper specific, but I, now I think that the goals of the disclosure movement, to a certain degree, I've had it wrong, and I think that um, I think that the the thrust of the entire movement has been to just cause a crack um, in the facade of denial, and I think that they might actually pull that off. Um, I've, so I've said it here before, but I I'll say it again. Um, you know, predictions age like milk, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I'm not, I think it's kind of a fool's errand to do that. But um, I suspect that um, there is a chance that we might see an era soon uh, where the average person on the street, if you approach them about the UFO topic, will answer in a manner very similar to the way that they talk about the JFK event. Yeah. Which is, I don't know what happened, but something is fishy. And you know what? That that is that is a sea change um, from where it has been in the past. That's um, true. So, I think that that is an achievable goal. So I'm actually my my, my tune has changed on disclosure a bit, and I hmm. I can't even believe that I'm saying that. But you know, <laughs> um, now granted, that doesn't mean that I'm you know that doesn't mean that I'm going to ascribe to whatever narrative is um, offered by state mouthpieces. Um, but I do think that, you know, the actual goal of achieving some sort of fissure in the way that we just deny the existence of these things wholesale, I think that might happen, honestly. Mm, okay. I, I, I could see that. I mean, it's already happened a little bit. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think mean, most, so, yeah. most of what we're getting is disinfo and I think there's an ulterior motive behind the, uh, the, what, what government and three letter agency, uh, efforts are behind it. Oh, I don't, I, I'm not discounting that either. You know, I think that there's, there's a contingent within our authority structures who love the way that the disclosure conversation is going because it can be, it, there's a lot of, um, <laughs> air cover, pardon, pardon the pun being done, 
um, to that, you know, that's, that serves in their interests. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, as you know, returning to the Faye conversation, like I've often thought that's one reason why I have completely incorrect theories on the phenomenon because, uh, I don't have a men in black visit, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> knock on wood, you know, I say that now. Um, but, uh, you know, it may be what the sort of the situation that if you're, if you're too, if you're too over the target, the, the most parsimonious thing is to just ignore you because, you know, otherwise it'll draw attention to what you're saying. I don't know. Um, that's true. No, that's very and, true. Yeah. It, but I also just think that, you know, the, uh, since everybody's using, using this term nowadays, the ontology of, of the UFO, I'm not even sure is known to any significant degree. I think that, I think that it kind of, it kind of starts and stops with, Hey, there's something strange out there. We do have these, uh, artifacts, which, you know, might better be quali- might better be, uh, categorized as relics and that sort of saints relics sort of sense. Um, but you know, we don't really know what to do with them. You know, we're, tr- we've been trying to reverse engineer them forever and we can't, and probably because they, are literally born out of a space of pure information to paraphrase Mac Tony's or pure imagination, you know, which is an angle that I'm looking more at more and more seriously these days. I'm not convinced they have relics. Honestly, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not convinced either, but if I want to have a durable perspective of the phenomenon, I've got to think of a way that crash debris could factor into my hypotheses. Right. Like I can't just be like, I can't just like bank on the fact that they don't have anything because you know, right. Yeah. No, it's the same thing with like all the hair and scat and stuff. Like I'm not sure that any of it's Bigfoot. I'm really not, but but, you know, you have to do the thought experiment of like, what if it is? Yeah. Right. And they did have that undis- they did find that undiscovered bear in India by analyzing what they thought was Bigfoot uh, hair or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. The, the Brian Sykes weird. stuff. That, yeah. That's a weird thing. Like that's a very weird thing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's even, it's even weirder that it kind of just got, I don't, I have, I'm not aware of any updates to that particular story that dropped yeah. multiple yeah. years ago. And nobody's really talking about it either. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like a prehistoric bear that's still around and like that just went away. Yeah. <laughs> But I, but I see more and more people open to the possibility that this phenomena, these phenomena more accurately, um, that they do share more in common with ghosts and such in the sense that like they can choose when they want to be physical and when they don't. And like, I see a lot more people having a nuanced high resolution view of the possibility that things can be, can straddle this line between physicality and non-physicality, um, like, you know, the way that ghosts leave footprints and the way that psi phenomenon is in your head, but also interacts with the outside world. Like, I think that, I think that more people are, are grokking that idea to use a, I think that might even be a Terrence McKinnonism or maybe it's a Dennis Learyism. But either way, I think more people are able to wrap their head around that idea than I've seen in the past too. So didn't grok come from stranger in a strange land? Was it? I can't remember. Yeah, the fictional novel about the kid who was raised on Mars. Okay. I think that's okay. where it came from. I'm not 100% sure. Maybe he used it because they came up with it, but. For some reason, I thought it was part of the counterculture. I don't know. Some, someone, it, in the, someone in the YouTube comments will correct us, I'm sure. First place <laughs> I read it was in uh, Judge Dredd comics. Because uh, Stranger to Strange Land is, right, I'll, I'll, I'll Google it real quick, but uh, uh, let's. we have time probably for one more question. We'll do the rest of the Patreon um, from a crocodile, I'm curious if you have, any of you have thoughts on spiritual psychosis becoming so wrapped up in seeing signs and things that it negatively impacts day to day life. 
How does one toe the line of being open to synchronicity and the unknown without drifting into dangerous territory? With beliefs or ideas outside the norm, is there a boundary of what should or should not be considered believable? Mm. So for for me, it's a matter of always taking everything with a grain of salt. That helps. So it's like, oh, okay, these synchronicities are popping up. That's, I mean, that's where the lighthouse thing came from, is a series of synchronicities about lighthouse. And I thought, well, that's kind of what I want. Where did the road go to be? Is like, like I said earlier, like this, this beacon for people who are looking the day deeper into this stuff. Um, but I always take it with a grain of salt because sometimes those synchronicities just dissolve and there's nothing to them. Mm -hmm. So I won't, you know, religiously follow them or take them as absolute signs. I'll just kind of pay attention. And if they don't go anywhere, it's like, okay, well, that was nothing. I think there is, and my, my tune on this is, is kind of changed and, um, I'm very careful about the way I speak about it, but I, there is a dark side to this stuff oh, and, yeah. it, and it can get very dark and it can get very oppressive and you have to be, if you're going to be involved with it, I'm not talking about listening to stories, listening to podcasts, reading books, that's you're fine. Not, not, but if you're going to be like deep into this stuff, like regularly going to these places like I go to and, and like putting yourself there and trying to experience this stuff, you have to be on guard against this kind of obsession, which will mm-hmm. take over your life. Um, it's I, I forget who the, the Bigfoot researcher was, Josh. It was one of the big ones. I remember the story of, um, uh, you know, when he was a younger man, uh, his wife was like, hey, it's me and the kids are Bigfoot. And he said, oh, Bigfoot. And th- he made the wrong choice. That's bad. That's not a good thing. And, oh you know, yeah, you told me about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's not a, that's not a good thing to do. Um, you, it's easy to get obsessed with this stuff, and and it will take you to negative places. I'm not talking about necessarily like demonic possession. I just mean like you'll screw your life up just because you'll be yeah. obsessed with something that doesn't have an end to it right. and and doesn't have any answers. Uh, probably, you know, I know we're looking for answers, but I think I think all three of us would probably, if pushed, we're going to have to say like we're going to die without knowing the answers, and and we accept that. And well, I hope we'll find some. Yeah, yeah we may, and we may not. Or, you know? bet, or I mean, at least better questions. That's probably what, much more likely. But in any case, um, this this stuff can can drag you to a dark place. And the antidote to that would be, like you said, taking it with a grain of salt, getting away from it, have yeah. other interests to you know step back from it. Um, you know, watch a goofy comedy movie or read a comic book or something. I don't know, but just don't put everything into this and. And be on guard. And, and I've of late, I've actually started saying like publicly, if you can be happy reading books about this or listening to podcasts about this and stop there, you're going to be a happier person than getting deeply involved with this stuff because it it's there's a lot of landmines and potholes on this on this path. I'm going to say that. And uh, I take it very seriously and and very cautious about where I step, basically, because of that. <laughs> and again, I'm not talking about demons or anything like that. I'm just talking about ruining your own life by yeah. getting too, you know, neck deep in this stuff and just, just blinded by uh, all of the uh, accoutrements of the field and stuff. Well, what, one of the things I've always said about life in general is that the universe has a sense of humor, so you can either laugh along with it or be the butt of its jokes, and that is mm-hmm. the same thing for this stuff. Yeah. yeah, keeping a sense of humor is huge with this. It's it's really big, and, and like if, if you um, listen to Brother Richard, and, you know, he's actually done some... Uh, you know, work where he's been on like demonic possession cases, then he's like laughing at this stuff is the best weapon. If you can just laugh at it. Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of, excuse me. I think you kind of have to build an awareness that this stuff, this thing, this interest can mirror an addictive substance. I mean, like yeah. you know, you can, yeah. sure. you can fall into this substance abuse esque trap of like, you know, getting the high of 
the research and the high of, you know, even if you're just reading books and, you know, stumbling on the, the next, you know, oh, this is a really cool connection that I found. Um, but I would echo Timothy's advice, which would be, you know, just find something else that you like to do. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I feel so fortunate that I, I have such an active uh, aspect of my life playing music is because, you know, honestly, whenever I get tired of this stuff, I just try to focus more on that. And I'm like, you know what, I, I could work on another this this new project tonight or I could go write some music or I could go play some music or I could, you know, just focusing on this thing that's completely divorced from this other subject matter of mine, because, you know, you, I've seen people I think we all probably have at this point who wind up in chapel perilous and who wind up in, you know, sort of flinching at every shadow and thinking that everything's a demon or this or that, or the other, the other specifically to the question that was being asked though, about like where you draw the line with people who are seeing things everywhere. I mean, you kind of have to afford experiencers, their own interpretation Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and if if they are not harming themselves or their lives or others, then like you just gotta you just gotta allow them to to have that experience because who knows? I mean, like the way that reality works, it might be that their own niche interpretation of the things that took them, you know, to another star system or whatever, is has a literal truth to it, an objective truth to it, just for them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just for that one night. Like I'm not I'm not ruling that out as a possibility, right? Absolutely. Um so you have you kinda have to acknowledge that that might be a possibility as well. And you know, if you if you don't, you kind of shut yourself off to possibilities that we've made great headway towards. Like, you know, the the fact that there are people who are talking to um patients who have mental illnesses like schizophrenia and are asking them to engage with the voices as opposed to ignore the voices and are actually seeing positive benefits from that i mean you know if you just throw out the fact that oh people are crazy then then that particular revelation would have never been made by you know a handful of medical professionals who are who are pursuing this from that angle so i think i think an open mind for the experiences of others as long as they're not hurting or harming anybody then that's that's then that's that's fine for yourself and your own personal path you gotta have other interests you just gotta like i don't know i don't know any other way around it but you've got to have other interests you know, a point on what you just said, Josh, one of the very first times I talked to Jeff Ritzman, I was talking about this woman who at the time was sending me like emails probably two or three times a week with about 20 photos per email. And it, it was like, you know, pictures of brush with red circles. Right. Yep. And she's like, there's something here. There's something here. And I was kind of like, it's got a at. baby. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it's got a baby. Um, I see it, but, uh, I'm sort of, you know, complaining to Jeff and Jeff was like, Hey, Tim, look at every one of those pictures. He's like, don't disregard them. He's like, that's the kind of person who's going to turn something up one time. And it, it's kind of saying, you know, in a very practical way, what you just said, Josh, it's kind of like, oh yeah, you know, kind of step back and like, maybe something is going on here. Just don't discount this. Well, yeah. that, that does seem to be something that the phenomenon loves doing. And like, you know, some of my favorite, <laughs> some of my favorite, UFO sightings sort of allude to this. I mean, I, I look at you look at um, Terrence McKenna's sighting of a UFO uh, in the Amazon, if memory serves, that's where it was. And he said, you know, oh, it looked fake as hell <laughs> and it looked like an Adamski style UFO. Right. But he saw it. So I think that's what the phenomenon does. I think that um, Guillermo del Toro said the same thing about his UFO sighting. It was like, it looked really cheesy and awful and I hated it. <laughs> like, I wouldn't have never, he was like, I, I wouldn't have never designed it that way. Um, and that, I love that, I love that man. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I, so I think that like you have to be aware of the fact that like, yeah, Jesus might appear on the on the side of a tortilla, you know. 
Um, and Jeff Ritzman is a good example of that spiritual psychosis. As numerous times in his life, he had to step away because it was literally driving him insane and it was ruining his life. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, Whitley Strieber yep. talks about the same thing. Yeah, I mean, those conversations with Jeff are, are one of the things that sort of um, have kept me straight in terms of, of not going too far down one path or the other, you know. Um, that and what well, little bits of Robert Anton Wilson I've learned through osmosis. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny because uh, there was an episode of Paratopia where he and Jeff were talking, uh, Jeremy and Jeff were talking about that. And... You know, Jeff's talking about how his, you know, you need to step away. And Jeremy says, you know, I really can't because it is, it's part of me because of the Kundalini and all that. And I'm kind of like, yeah, that was kind of what my answer was to him. Like this stuff is so, you know, so much a part of who I am and, and my life that I can't really completely step away from it. You know, it's not like just having an interest in it. It's, it's always there. It's always interacting in some way. Well, that's that's when I would say though that you're you're being called in some form or fashion to do something about it and to integrate it and it's probably yeah. going to be worse if you don't pay attention to it. Absolutely. If you try to shut it down, it's going to be worse. So you've got to try to find some way to integrate that into sounds so touchy feely, but integrate it into your life path. You know. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I've done. Yeah. You know, once that's, I do, once that's, that's the shamanic path. You know, that's that's what that is. Yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> And I hate the overuse of that term and how easily people call themselves shamans. Yeah, no, I agree. But I also am very aware when I look, especially as I'm writing my book, that, you know, this is basically a shamanic path. Well, language is, is you know, if, if, if language was a better tool, we might have actually solved all these mysteries a long time ago. <laughs> but, you know, so, yeah, you do wind up with things like, well, you know, shaman, shaman, shaman and shamanism is overused. And sometimes it's used in particularly insensitive ways. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, unless you keep on uh, backtracking and explaining yourself, it's, it's kind of one of the best terms that we have, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I did Google it. The informal verb grok was an invention of the science fiction writer Robert A. Heinlein, whose nineteen sixty one novel Stranger in a Strange Land placed great importance on the concept of grokking. In the book, to grok is to empathize so deeply with others that you merge or blend with them. Heinlein, okay. Yeah, if you've never read that book, that yeah. is a must read. That book is fantastic. Um, I have not. Yeah, it's it's about a kid who gets or, who gets uh, orphaned on Mars, and Martians raise him. And Martians have a very different view of how reality works. And so, when he is eventually rescued as a young adult and brought back to Earth, he doesn't understand why Earthlings behave the way they do. Um, and I won't give spoilers, but the 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 end bit of the book when he finally comes to that realization is so dead on and so amusing at the same time. Um, and he, he just suddenly understands it and just starts laughing cause it's so simple. Nice. So, all right. Um, so we were just about out of time, but, uh, there was a question to end this, which is, uh, goals or upcoming projects from all of you. Um, I always hear, always <clears throat> enjoy hearing about any movies, TV shows, podcasts, or books you or your guests are enjoying. Archive 81 and Primer are a couple of great recommendations I got from you. So I do recommendations every week, and we can do some more on the Patreon if you guys want to. But what do you guys have coming up? My Hermit's book, um, I was on a, on a good path to get out in the first part of 2024, but uh, an incredible new paranormal project has fallen into my lap, and an opportunity I cannot miss. So I'm going to say the Hermit's book sometime in 2024. I'm very excited for it. My first like non-paranormal book, although... 
several people have noted as you know probably paranormal adjacent. Right. But uh, I'm my favorite artwork I've done for any book. My favorite illustrations. Um, I'm just really, really loving this book. So really, really hope I can get it done this year. But um, uh, yeah, this this other project that, that fell into my lap, I'll be making announcements on Strange Familiars in the, in the next few weeks to a, a okay, month. Okay. And it, it's uh, it's it's huge for me. It's, it's absolutely huge. I'm really excited to hear about this. Okay. Um, and people can find you where? StrangeFamiliars.com. That's got links to everything, Tim. Okay. Uh, Josh, what do you got coming up? Oh boy, what do I not have coming up? <laughs> um, <laughs> got a couple of different book projects in the works. Um, a project that I've ki- been kicking back and forth with uh, one of the other people on this podcast as well. Might be in the offing soon. Relatively soon, like measured in terms of years. Um, I uh, will be appearing in the documentary The Beyond UFOs in a New Reality alongside such folks as Dr. Jeffrey Kripal, uh, Dr. Diana walsh Pasolka. Alex Dietrich, uh, Whitley Strieber, uh, Michael Masters, and uh, Greg Bishop. That should be coming out, I think, sometime this year. (laughs) I don't think a release date's been announced, but uh, it was a really exciting project to participate in. And uh, the most pressing uh, thing that's coming up that people can have an opportunity to um, hop on board with is I will be teaching a spring course in the 2024 Mastery Series through the cosmos institute that's cosmos with a k the website is k-o-s-m-o-s institute.org um and i will be teaching the class on the near-death experience um and it's going to be a comparative look at the near-death experience nine classes um beginning march 23rd uh, nine classes of 90 minutes each it's going to include an overview of the near-death experience, a, a look at indigenous and ancient near-death experiences. Um, we're going to invite Shirley Black into one of our classes as well. Nice. And then we'll look at a comparison to uh, all these different contact modalities and how they mirror the near-death experience and try to come up with an idea, you know, one of several of what might be going on. But anybody who's interested in participating in that, the website is cosmosinstitute.org. That's Cosmos with a K. And uh, I, as far as I know, enrollment is available up until March 23rd. So be sure to check that out. All right. And you're also at JoshuaCutchin.com? Same place. Yep. All right. Uh, as for me, yeah, first part of the autobiography should be out the first half of 2024. The artwork's done by Matt Festa, who did an amazing job with it, especially since I gave him almost nothing to work with. Um, cause I didn't know. And he read a little bit of what I had and, and came up with some brilliant ideas that worked perfectly. Um, the documentary Chris did about me and where did the road go, which is called magicians long to see is available to $10 and up Patreons. Currently, uh, we're working on getting it on Amazon and I'll probably put it out for all patrons, uh, at some point soon, but uh, there'll also be physical copies available as well. And I guess that's uh, that's it for the main show. Um, again, this is this is now literally eleven years I've been doing this. I don't remember a time I wasn't doing it. To be honest, it just feels like it's always been there, even though it's only been eleven years. So thank you guys so much for coming on and doing this. Thanks for having me. Love being part of the Where Did the Rogo family. Absolute pleasure, Soraya. Congratulations. I want to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons. Without you, this show would not be possible. And I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, Matt in Delaware, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, Stephen St. George, 
36 Dingo, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Midnight Review presents Christine, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gayaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Andrew Malone, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Bright Rectangle, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, CJ, Craig Parmenter, Diane B, MTK, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, Jay, Jay Otto Bullet, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L, Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K, MJ Armstrong, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Oli Andre Olar, Colin Karras, Paul Jeffries, Perry Peters, Philosopher of Mirrors, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls, Stacy Sherwood, Stevie Norman, Strange Stories with the Seeker and Skeptic Podcast, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, The Esoteric Book Club Podcast, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Veroche K, Victoria Elant, Vincent Trewell, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, and TDT Skunk Works. Thank you all so very, very much. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. There is, of course, a Patreon segment where we continue to conversate about various things. And, uh, yeah, 11 years. Man, next week is definitely the, uh, the UFO History Show because it's already recorded, so I don't feel like I'm jinxing myself saying that, so hopefully everything doesn't blow up before I get to air it, because it's a good one. Um, yeah, uh, I want to thank a couple new patrons, Graham Siri and Tracing Owls, and nice to have you back, Tracing Owls. Also, I want to thank Jody Labrens for a uh, generous donation, and uh, yeah, there will be more Seth stuff coming. I got a huge response from the Seth stuff, and uh, there is more Seth stuff coming, some pretty cool Seth stuff coming, uh, as you will see, hopefully, uh, very soon. I, I don't know exactly when, but sometime in the next few months, there's going to be some cool Seth stuff on the show. All right, again, I, I can't thank you all enough for listening, for the support, for the, the everyone who's ever contacted me, every guest I've ever had. Um, it's all what makes this show possible. My regular co-host, the single time guests, I mean, everything adds up. It's, it's all built into this construct that is, where did the road go? And I hope it, uh, I hope it helps you out when you need it and entertains you when that's what you're looking for. And I hope to be doing it for a long time. Okay. So, um, to take you out, we're going to hear some Psyche Corporation, and uh, I used to use this at the end of every show in the beginning. I hadn't really thought about branching out and using other music. Um, I actually do all of her mastering and uh, some of her mixing and help her put her records together at times, did most of her music videos, and uh, she's a very long-time close friend, and she did the intro to the show as well. That's the voice you hear. Is of Psyche Kamir. From Psyche Corporation, you can find her at PsycheCorporation.com. She hasn't been doing quite as much recently, but she is working on new stuff. But we're going to go back to the original song, which I have aired, I think, in the last, last week or the week before, maybe as well. Uh, Worrying World. I always thought it was such a perfect ending to this show, and uh, that's what you're going to hear. So again, everyone out there, thank you, and I'll see you next time. Come in, come in.
understand the numbers pouring over your connection. Soaking into our transmission 